It is the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. I'm Eric G. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up on today's show, in segment number two, we will hear from Anthony Fogel, former OU cornerback, also my best friend in the world, and a guy that I worked with um, for a few years down at a station that no one listens to anymore because, obviously, we're not on it. But um, it's a fun conversation. Uh, We discuss, obviously, a lot about what's going on with OU. And since Anthony played back in the 90s, I couldn't let him go without at least one weird Howard Schnellenberger story. So we'll get to that as well. But since we are now officially into week five of the college football season and looking back on week four, it's what did Eric get right and what did Eric get wrong? And uh, what Eric got wrong was big, was really big this week. And that was the fact that you would probably thought, as I did, OU's defense wasn't going to take a step back this year, that at least through the first three games of the season, they had fooled us into thinking that they were progressing every single week. And a lot of the bad habits that they had gotten into, like ducking your head when you tackle, uh, not being able to get off blocks, like all that had just gone out the window and OU was going to be a good defensive team. Well, they did take a step back, a major step back against Kansas State. And you can debate on what the most disturbing part of this was amongst your friends. It's really some great barroom conversation, to be quite honest. Um, Pat Pat Jones, who I work with every day, we had that conversation today. For him, it was the fact that your linebackers and your secondary, those second and third level guys, just all of a sudden, especially in the secondary, had just forgotten how to tackle. You didn't see the game tackling like you had in the first three games of the year. There weren't five or six guys around the ball really at any time during that game. And had you not seen the first three games of the year, had this been the first OU game you watched and your last recollection of the way OU played was last year during during Lincoln Riley's last season, you would have thought, ah, eh, no big deal. OU's just crappy on defense. Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley must be in charge. But no, this is the new Brent Venables OU. And everything that we saw against Nebraska, Kent State, and UTEP had just disappeared. Just, just inexplicably disappeared for one game. For me, the most disturbing part was how you got physically whipped up front by the Kansas State offensive line. And, you know, look, God bless Brock Eward. I mean, this guy tries every single week, does a good job for Fox, but he and his partner talking about how Deuce Vaughn is so little and he's so hard to pick up. And when he gets behind those linemen, it's going to be difficult for the linebackers in the secondary to sniff him out. No, bro, he had holes big enough for a Mack truck to, to, to go through. Okay. I mean, there were times, especially late in the game, whether it was him or Adrian Martinez. Oh, my God. Real quick, the third and 16. I mean, you or I could have run through that hole on the third and 16 where Adrian Martinez put the game out of reach for Kansas State. So don't give me this crap about Deuce Vaughn being little, being hard to tackle. Just say it like it is. Hey, OU's defensive line didn't play great, and when they didn't play great, nobody else on the defense played great. That defense went from scoring 
A minuses, and I'll give them A minuses because of competition. Nebraska's not any good. Uh, UTEP's not any good. Kent State is good. They're going to be good in the MAC, but they're still a MAC team. So I'll give them A minuses to all the way down to. I don't see how you give them anything but an F. I mean, I being giving a D for the OU defense this week would be generous. And yeah, I'm going to be hard on them because it is my school, and when it's your school. You think it's a better job than what it actually is. So, yeah, OU's defense gets a D. Very disturbing to see them take a step back. I knew it was coming. <laughs> knew it was coming. <laughs> at least I did at the beginning of the year. But it fooled myself into thinking that maybe it's not. I don't know why I'm shocked. I think I'm just uh, – things that maybe Brandon Drum said today on our show is kind of sticking in my head about OU fell back into that typical OU mindset of – Oh, they lost to Tulane. We beat Tulane last year, so we'll be able to go there and whip this team. And you know Brent Venables didn't have that attitude. You know the coaching staff did not have that attitude last week and probably did everything they could to stress to them, no, you're going to have to work to beat these guys because they've out physical you. And in case you haven't noticed, they've had a lot of success. Kansas State's had a lot of success against you. And somehow that message did not get through to the OU uh, defense. And guess what? It's going to be a very tough week of practice. I guess on one way you can look at it as a way to get better, but on another, 100 miles of bad road and things you don't want to face this week. Yeah, Brent Venables whipping out that, you know, whipping out that piece of paper, writing down stuff. Well, as sure as he was keeping track of the offense, he sure as heck was probably keeping track of the defense too. Missed tackle. You know, 10 stadium steps. It's just, it's going to be brutal. This is absolutely brutal. So where I was wrong, OU's defense did eventually take a step back. Where I was right, yeah, everybody should have been buying Kansas State stock at the beginning of the year and loading up on it because it's still, even with the win over OU, a very valuable stock, a very a very low price stock or very low cost stock that's going to pay dividends as the season goes on, because as I said, Kansas State would have something to say about who is playing in the Big 12 championship, and now they have dealt OU a tough playing card in the fact that there is no margin for error for Oklahoma the rest of the way. Oklahoma State, you can probably still lose one, but I'm thinking one is about all you can lose. Two, I know what I've seen that the whole Big 12 championship our Big 12 champion loses at least two games this year. Could be. Um, Iowa State's going to be tough. Iowa State will have a say in it. Baylor, obviously going to have a say in it. Kansas, let's not get too high on them. You know, the 4-0 start is fantastic for KU. Um, very happy for Lance Leipold. Happy that his name's being mentioned with every possible job in college football, but the bottom will fall out on Kansas at some point because they are going to run into teams that are better than them as conference play starts. Um, yeah, we know Texas is scared of them. They've already beaten West Virginia, but Oklahoma State's better than Kansas. K-State's probably better than Kansas this year. Baylor, Iowa State, OU, and so on. So let's not get too crazy about that, but look out for K-State. If Adrian Martinez, and this is a big if, because he's probably the most inconsistent quarterback in the conference. If Adrian Martinez can play the way that he did last week, the rest of the season, Kansas State possibly the most dangerous team in the Big 12 going forward. And this isn't just based on one game. What it's based on is a mentality that has been cultivated 
by Bill Snyder of being tougher than everybody else, doing what you do, doing it better than anyone else does it, and not letting the other team dictate the terms of of the outcome. Kansas State does that better than anyone, and, and Chris Kleiman, whom I love, love Chris Kleiman, he has done an excellent job of maintaining that mentality. There's a reason he's had success against OU. And OU's got a lot of growing mentally and physically to do here in the next few months and, more importantly, the next few years. Because if you think K-State's tough and this is a year in the Big 12 where anybody can beat anyone, guess what? It doesn't get any easier in the SEC where one week you go from Arkansas to Ole Miss to, if you're lucky, Mississippi State and then possibly back to LSU. It's going to be rigorous for Oklahoma. And I think right now what we've seen with this K-State loss is, one, we overvalued that win over Nebraska, but two, more importantly, is that we've seen an o- we've seen just where OU is program-wise and that Brent Venables is going to have to do a better job of recruiting kids who are mentally and physically tough and want to hit people. This is the Bedlam Podcast, so I want to talk about OSU, but what do I always talk about OSU? What do I always say about Mike Gundy? Mike Gundy has done a better job of anybody in the conference, maybe anybody in the country, turning over rocks, finding recruits, and building them up. He didn't give a damn about the stars. Okay, he doesn't care about that. The reason he doesn't care about the stars is because they only tell you so much. And oftentimes, I think with OU and Texas, we have seen that just because a kid has that uniform on doesn't make him the best player at his position in the country, in the conference, or even the state. As I said it before at the beginning of the year, and I'll say it again now, Spencer Sanders is the best quarterback in the Big 12. He is better than Dylan Gabriel. If you've watched the games, you know it. And after Saturday's game, that point cannot be stressed enough. And it's not that Dylan Gabriel's bad. He's got good arm strength, but I think you know that he's just a guy. He's not going to do um, Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield kind of things. He's going to have to be who he is. He's going to have to do a better job of hitting those intermediate passes. But unlike Spencer Sanders, you know, Dylan Gabriel can run, but you don't worry about him running the way you worry about Spencer Sanders or even a guy like uh, like Martinez running the way he did on Oklahoma. Uh, when it comes to Oklahoma State this week, This game with Baylor is a huge tone setter, not just for Oklahoma State this year and the rest of the season, but really the program going forward as the the new Big 12 comes into play. And what Oklahoma State has an opportunity to do here is really prove to us that this defense, um, like Oklahoma's, has gotten better. Okay, I say like Oklahoma's has gotten better. We thought it has gotten better through the first couple of games. Central Michigan is probably the toughest team either OU or OSU faced in the non-con. And OSU faced them, they gave up a lot of points. Played much better against Arizona State. They played much better, obviously, against Arkansas Pine Bluff. We know that neither one of those teams are as good as Central Michigan. So, is what we've seen out of the Oklahoma State defense, is it more along the lines of what happened at Central Michigan or more along the lines of what happened with Arkansas Pine Bluff and what happened with Arizona State? We're about to find out. And the thing that's very similar to Baylor and K-State is they want to run downhill at you. They want to be more physical than you. Where you have to like Oklahoma State in these situations compared to Oklahoma 
is Oklahoma State does have the best defensive line in the conference. So theoretically, I mean, if you're just looking at it on paper, Oklahoma State's defensive line has got to dominate in this game. If Oklahoma State's defensive line can be more physical, if they can dominate, if they can force Baylor into a situation where they have to throw more than they run, they're going to play right into Oklahoma State's hands. And the one thing that Oklahoma State can do, if they can get off the field, they can hit you for some quick points. And if you get Baylor playing from behind, if you're able to jump up on Baylor the way K-State did against OU, you're able to get up 14, 17 points, and you can keep them you know, trying to play catch-up, you're going to put them in a situation where they're just not doing what they want to do. And it's not that they can't throw the ball, and it's not that they don't have athletes to do it, but ultimately they want to knock your butt off. And if you can keep them from doing that, Oklahoma State's got a good chance to win. There's a reason it's only a two-and-a-half-point spread is because it just shows you how close these teams really are. And this week, yeah, I'll say it. I like Oklahoma State. Hopefully, it'll be an Eric is right when we come back next week. All right, up next, I got Anthony Fogel. He is a former cornerback at OU. He's a lot of fun to talk to. And uh, we talked a lot about the new the new version of the OU Sooners, and we even stepped back in time a little bit. So stick around for that on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. It is the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition, and joining me now is, I can honestly say this, my best friend in the world. I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds by saying this. Uh, former OU cornerback, former Green Bay Packer cornerback, former cornerback of... Was it the Ryan? Why do I want to think the Ryan Fire? Where where, where did you play in the in NFL Europe? Barcelona. Barca- oh, so you were a dragon, the Barcelona Dragons. And I yes, guess sir. the question becomes, why can I remember that and never could have remembered math? But um, Anthony Fogel, former co-host of, of mine, joining me here. And um, I'm having Anthony on one because it's my podcast and I can do what I darn well please. But two... Uh, because we worked together for a long time, and Anthony's a lot of fun. And um, Anthony is usually on point with just about everything he says concerning OU. And I, this past Saturday, Anthony, how for you being the former quarterback, former defensive back at OU, how disturbing was it to you to, to see OU not be able to tackle at the second and third levels? It's, it's kind of frustrating. Uh, really, when you look at the overall picture uh the words that used to come out of one of my defensive coordinators mouth was alignment assignment and technique and when you rally and swarm to the ball the open field tackles become less and less because instead of one guy on one there's four or five guys on one and that's something that just has to be taught over time uh when whenever people see you know open field one-on-one tackles that tells me one thing, that all 10 of the other guys don't see the ball is gone, and now they're flying with their ears pent back to try to get to the ball carrier. It's like a, a bunch of looking going around. And when, when you watch that on film, all you're saying to yourself offensively is, hey, if we make one guy miss, it could be a big play. And, and like I said, that's something that doesn't happen overnight. It was a tradition at OU. Even when I was there, we played pretty decent on defense. Uh, and somehow, somewhere along the way, it's kind of been forgot. But I, I've got trust in this defensive staff. I've got trust in Coach V, and I think they'll get it right sooner or later. Is, is toughness something you can instill in a team, or is that something that has to come instinctually? I think you can 
teach it, but I, it, that to me is probably the most difficult thing in the world of teaching. I think a lot of that falls on the shoulder of your strength and conditioning coach. And, and he's usually around those guys more throughout the year than any position coach or any coordinator. And it, it has to become a standard and it has to become a mentality. And, and you have to be afraid to not be physical. And I know that sounds crazy. Uh, because when you say you're physical, you, you, mo- most people would think you're not afraid of anything if you're a physical team. But you have to be willing to go out there and sometimes sacrifice your body to be for the better cause of the team because there's going to be a situation where a small guy like me has to go up against an offensive lineman. And, and if I just back up and let that guy do what he wants to do, it's going to take down the entire integrity of the defense. So I think it can be taught, but I think – it's one of the hardest things to teach because that's more of a mentality and not a physical attribute. You know, if I'm slow, I can try to get faster. If I'm benching 220, I can go in the weight room and get stronger. But I don't think that there's a uh, a true way to teach it. I mean, sometimes you got to go to the, the wizards. You know, sometimes kids need heart, courage, and a brain, you know. And those are things that are the hardest to teach. So – so with this task that Brent Venables has cut out for him, Anthony, I mean, does it have to start with the new guys that he's bringing in? I mean, is essentially that what you're saying? It comes down to the guys you're recruiting, and 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 you're and in your evaluation yeah. process, you got to make sure that those guys have all three of those things that you're talking about. Yeah, you've got to go out and recruit and find a few dogs, and and and, and I don't know necessarily what this staff is made up as far as their regional abilities and where they've, they've been. But uh, I, I don't never just look at a five-star. A, a five-star that's coddled, that has never, you know, really been hungry before, that kid may not be the best fit for a team that wants to be physical. And if we saw one thing yesterday from Kansas State, athletically, they may not even be close to OU athletically. But physically, they were the most physical team up front on offense on the line and defense on the line. So that becomes a recruiting tool because recruiting is a science. I mean, you just can't look at some recruiting web service and see, okay, five-star, five-star, four-star, four-star. Okay, let me go to Florida. Let me go to Houston. Let me go to Dallas. I mean, you've got to really watch film and see what that kid does when things are not going good because that's going to tell you more than a 15-minute highlight film. I mean, on a highlight film, he's jumping around having a good time. Well, what happens when a – Six foot three, two hundred and ninety-five, three hundred pound guard comes around that corner, and that corner sitting there, he's a five-star guy. What is he going to do? Is he going to go and give himself up for the for the sanctity of the team, or is he going to say they don't pay me to make tackles and they doggone sure don't pay me to hit offensive linemen? We're talking with Anthony Fogle here on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition, and um, Anthony, um, as far as you know, you, you look at the the way this program is is built now offensively. Um, I think it's a good offensive team. I don't think it's a great offensive team. I think Dylan Gabriel's about what we thought he was at the end of the spring. Maybe he's got a little bit of a, of a stronger arm. But I guess my question is, is why do people overestimate someone who wears that OU uniform a lot of the time? I think it's because a lot of people – have gotten spoiled uh you know and, and and some people won't admit this but you know if you look at the last three quarterbacks they all took a trip to see if they can go win the Heisman. well we're not going to have that this year 
and, and, and sometimes just the expectations of people just thinking, okay, you know what, we're OU. We should always be in the mix. And I think it's probably not as bad this year because I think the collective of the same OU fans are understanding that this process could take a few years. But I do think that at times, you know, especially people our age that have seen the Tommy Harris's and the Jermaine Gresham's and the Heifel's and even the Hibbles and the Bradford's and the, you know, those kind of guys, it, it becomes to where it's almost shocking when you don't see that. I mean, how many running backs that we went through that were just great and nothing against these two guys. They are really good college running backs. They have a one, two punch with some power and some speed with Bray and major, but they're not DeMarco Murray and they're not Adrian Peterson. And I think that sometimes when people get used to seeing that, when you don't see it, it's kind of like, Whoa, 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 what's going on? Are are we kind of like average now? And why are we average? But like I said, I think the average fan understands that this is a process. The fanatical fan is probably freaking out right now on Twitter saying, oh, my God, I still can't believe we lost to Kansas State on Saturday. (laughs) Well, I I think what bothers me more than anything, Anthony, and it's been a problem with OU for the last few years, is just getting out physical. I mean, this is something that, you know, Coach Pat Jones and I talk about a lot. We talked about it a lot on our show. And the one one way to get physical is to for your defense is to have your offense incorporate some more conventional looks or some more conventional approaches. And we see it with Arkansas. Arkansas is a physical team. Despite losing Saturday, they like to run the ball. Uh, K-State, certainly a physical team. My question is, if you're Brent Venables, even if you're taking Jeff Levy out of his comfort zone, why wouldn't you ask him to be to be more conventional because it seems like that is the way to success. We see it in college football. We see that be successful. Why has it, why has OU gotten so far away from that? I think it may be a little bit of personnel. Uh, You know, when you've got, first you got to start up front, uh, D line, O line, either side of the ball. You know, the one thing that Kansas state feels that they could do is they can lean on you and they can get a push for about three or four yards, and that allows them to be very basic in their run game. They've got that little short, speedy Gonzalez-looking cat that he comes out the backfield and hides behind the lineman, and then he darts, boom, gone. And they've got a quarterback that's a big physical kid, and when he sees there's daylight, he's going to run. So it, it makes them a little bit more simplified, but up front, I feel like they believe that they can out-physical you. I don't know if right now OU feels – against a really good defensive line that they can out-physical you. So they've got to do things where the ball comes out the quarterback's hands quick. They've got to, you know, do zone read type things to where you give the impression that the quarterback or the running back may have the ball and then you run your little RP off of that. Uh, that right there, the conventional part of offense is a luxury that I don't know a lot of teams really have. Wisconsin used to be that way. I haven't seen them none this year where they were going to run the ball, run play action, and put the ball down the field. As a matter of fact, Alabama, when Saban first got there, used to play tight ends and maybe sometimes double tight ends, and they were going to establish the run game, throw play action down the field, and then they get kids that present different options at quarterback, and they're bringing in a new coordinator, it seems like, every two years because guys are getting head coaches, coaching jobs down there, and their offense has evolved. But I agree with you. 
uh, I like the kiss method, you know, and, and, and it, the, the simpler you keep it, the less kids have to think and the more they can be athletes. But oh. I just don't know up front, are we at that point yet? Well, and, and that and that may be the deal, but, you know, and, and by the way, Anthony Fogel joining us here on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. But it brings this, all right, to keep it simple, stupid. And the one thing we always heard about Lincoln Riley was great play caller, you know, complex schemes, whatever. And, all right, you put up a lot of offensive numbers. You, you have yet to win a national championship. You know, why do guys fall in love with the idea of trying to make football harder than what it actually needs to be? Uh, because, I, honestly and truthfully, I think that, one, it makes athletes feel like they're good when they can run a post corner and there's nobody there and it's a wide-open pass or you outthought somebody while you're on the field. But, two, I think there's an ego in coaching. And when you do certain things that basically go against a defense's strength, when you're on offense and you're able to basically, you know, go checkmate, I got you, and that's what they normally do defensively, now you get a chance to be able to say, hey, you know what, I outcoached him. And believe me, there are a lot of coaches that feel comfortable and look forward to being able to say on a week-to-week basis, I outcoached that guy. So if I'm coaching receivers, my receivers were better than his DBs. I outcoached them. So the more complex it gets is usually the biggest – ego uh, trip on some of these assistant coaches and coordinators because they want to always be able to go to clinics and say, hey, we outcoached that group over there. They might have been a little bit better than us, but we outcoached them. I'd be remiss um, if we didn't close out, if, if I did not ask you at least one, to give us one good Howard Schnellenberger story. And, and I'll, I'll also preface this by saying, Anthony, I mean, you know, we don't do a lot of nostalgia here on, the, on this show, but I think your group, uh, the guys that played in the 90s are the most underappreciated group at the University of Oklahoma ever to have gone through that football program. You guys made a lot of sacrifices, and really it was through your hard work and, you know, doing everything you did on the field is kind of one of the reasons where OU is now. Stoops had to come in and and get some stuff done, but I, I don't think you guys were as appreciated as you should have been for everything you put into that program. Um and I believe y'all's story needs to be told sometime in a book form, but um <laughs> and and we've talked about that. But let's let's real quick, one good Howard Schnellenberger story for people who don't understand just maybe what things were like un, under Howard. You know, we've heard we've all heard things, but what was it really like? Uh I would say that one of the more interesting conversations is he would always try to name drop, you know, play Coach Under, Coach Shula, Miami, and uh, coach with this guy. Well, we're out there, and it's probably mm, 250 degrees, and uh, we get done with practice, and he walks over, and he has this story that I know he had to make up because – I'm pretty sure doing two days, most people are practicing somewhere near the same time, especially back then when you would actually do two a days. So he might have actually called in the morning, and that was the afternoon practice. So I, I give him credit on this. This might be a true story. So he says, well, I was talking to my good friend Bobby Bowden yesterday, 
and he said he had nine guys pass out. And today, we only had four. So tomorrow, five extra guys have got to pass out. I was like, what? <laughs> so how many how many guys just rushed up to volunteer for that? Oh, my goodness. I'm like, you're already pre-planning a pass-out party? I was like, I cannot believe you just said that. that, that those are some things that, in today's world of college athletics, you would – first of all, it's probably going to be a trainer or an equipment guy out there, and he's going to be recording that on his phone. <laughs> and it's going to be in front of Joe Castiglione in about five minutes. And I would say five minutes after that, you would be gone from that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you would. Back, back then – I'm sorry, back, back then in the 90s, it, it was still – there was still enough, I, I don't know, old school mentality where it's like, yeah, if we get a couple of kids hey. dying, you know, it's just part of the part of the deal. Hey, back then at the practice, we were playing rock, paper, scissors to be who, who's going to be those five guys. And I was like, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> you and PJ, oh, PJ, like, you got to pass out today. I passed out yesterday. Today is your turn to pass out. I'd be like, you know what? That might not be a bad idea because if I pass out at the beginning of practice, I'm not practicing no more. I, I can fake a pass out with the best of them. <laughs> Go and get get some IVs, and uh, you know, I'll just I'll just call it good. I'll call it good, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should have did that. Now that I'm thinking, I wasn't thinking on the right level at that point. No. Nah. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. How you get smarter as you get older. You don't think about, you know, in your twenties, no you're like, hey man, yeah, I'll just no, I'm gonna practice. I'll practice all the way through. I gotta play. You know, if I pass out, I can get out of this crap. <laughs> exactly. Get get back rehydrated. Well, brother, I love you. I love you very much. And, and I want to thank you for coming on with me and uh making this fun. We gotta do it again. We gotta do it again soon. We gotta get together soon, but uh it was good talking to you earlier today. It's great talking to you again on this. I'm, I'm very happy you did this, Anthony. All right. I love you too, brother. You have a great one.